I came across this article that was written in the first part of this year in March by a lady named Amanda Corsetti, and she said this. To say that the past year has done a number on our collective mental health is an understatement. The coronavirus pandemic, high rates of unemployment, racial inequality, and a divisive, at times hostile political climate have driven stress way up among Americans. More than 40% of people reported having symptoms of depression and anxiety in January of 2021, compared to just 11% between January and June of 2019. And then she says, it will take months, perhaps even years, to fully heal from the trauma of 2020. But in the meantime, there are things we can all do to cope. And then she lists a series of things we can do to cope And these are the sorts of things that you can find in these kind of articles all the time. Meditate, go outdoors, exercise, and get plenty of sleep. And I can imagine someone saying, that's all good and everything, but I want more than just to cope with my anxiety. I don't want to have anxiety. I don't want it to be in my life. I was reminded of this cartoon Peanuts in a time when Linus said to his friend, Life is difficult, isn't it, Charlie Brown? And Charlie Brown responds by saying, yes, it is. But I've developed a new philosophy. I only dread one day at a time. (laughs) I love that because there are times in our life where we feel just like that. There's, There's more than we can handle and life is coming at us in a thousand different ways and we feel stressed and anxious. But it's no laughing matter when that dread begins to overwhelm us. When anxiety goes off the charts, when meditating more, exercising more, getting outdoors more, and trying your best to get sleep at night doesn't seem to address the issue. We're going to talk about this idea of anxiety today, and we're going to call our study Anxiety, Life, and the Presence of God. And specifically, we're going to look at Jesus addressing his disciples as he calls them to greater levels of trust in God and in himself. And so I want to invite you to join me as we listen in to what Jesus has to say. He's speaking in a very particular context, and I think there's a lot that you and I can learn about anxiety, life, and the presence of God in our own lives as well. So let's just pause for a moment, and let's pray and ask God to meet us where we are this day. Lord, we know what it's like to feel overwhelming anxiety sometimes, to have a sense of dread settle over us, to to be up at night worrying. And even though some of us may not be there right now, we've been there in the past, and we're sure there's probably opportunities in the future for anxiety to rear its ugly head. Would you meet us this day, we pray? Help us to understand what Jesus is saying as he addresses his disciples in a particular context and invites them to greater heights of trust and love for you. Stir our hearts and reset us this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Luke chapter 12, verse 22, this is what Luke tells us. He, that is Jesus, said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Now let's pause there before we go on and see the rest of what Jesus says there. And I wonder how that statement strikes you. When Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life, 
What comes to your mind? As, as I think about preparing the study week in and week out, I, I pull images of people into my mind that I know and even my own experience and I wonder how they might hear these words of Jesus. And I can imagine someone saying this, um, Jesus, that's easy to say, but have you seen my life? <laughs> There's plenty to be anxious about. I'm stressed out. I have people mad at me. And just to hear someone say, do not be anxious, adds to my anxiety. <laughs> Why does Jesus say what he's saying to his disciples? Well, let's just first note that he's speaking to his disciples. These are people who are buying in and who are going all in on who Jesus is. They believe that he is the Messiah sent by God, that he is the Savior of the world. And Jesus has been inviting them to trust him, to give their lives to him, to devote themselves to his teaching, to inhabit a new way of being human. And so he says to them, therefore I tell you. And whenever we see those words therefore, they're there for a particular reason. It highlights a context of what's going on. And it's been seven Sundays since we've been in the Gospel of Luke, so let's just remind ourselves what immediately happened right before Jesus said these words. Jesus was teaching the multitudes, and someone stands up and interrupts Jesus and says to him, Jesus, would you tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me? He wanted Jesus to stop what he was doing and enter into an interpersonal dispute. And so Jesus uses this as an opportunity to teach, as a teaching moment. And Jesus said this, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And that thought leads Jesus into a quick story about a rich man whose crops came in and he was having a bumper crop season. He had so many crops he didn't know what to do and he has this internal dialogue about himself and says, what shall I do? And he says, okay, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my barns and storehouses and build bigger ones. I'm going to say to myself, relax, enjoy life. You got enough laid up for many years to come. And Jesus ends that story by saying this, that man was a fool and so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And so Jesus is going to speak to them about what it means to be rich toward God. And we're going to look at that in the weeks ahead. But that's the context of what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to take his disciples and, and change them from having a mindset that is centered on themselves to have a mindset that is centered upon God which overflows in a radical generosity towards others. And so this is the context in which Jesus says to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Remember, he just told them that life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he doesn't want them to be worried about accumulating things. He's going to move them toward radical generosity and giving more of themselves to others. And he tells them, I don't want you to worry about things that worry people. He's going to give us two illustrations and two opportunities to reflect on what he's going to say. His first illustration is this. He's going to tell them, consider the birds. And he says in verse 24, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. He calls to their mind ravens. Ravens 
under the Old Testament system were considered unclean birds. They were scavenger birds. They ate whatever they found. And he says, look at them. They don't sow, and they don't reap, and they don't build big storehouses and barns like the rich fool did to store their goods, and yet God feeds them. Moreover, we can imagine that Jesus could say something like this. Just like I told you to pray to your heavenly Father, give us this day our daily bread. I don't teach the ravens to say that. They don't even ask God. He just feeds them. And he says this, of how much more value are you than the birds? God cares for the birds and he feeds them. And if he does that, consider how much more valuable you are. And if you're more valuable, how much more can you trust in your heavenly father? So he invites them to consider themselves in light of this illustration. He says, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If you then are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious? Let's just imagine that all of us at this moment were just to, to conjure up all the things that give us anxiety. And we just piled it up right here in the middle and we just focused in on that. What good is that going to do us? Is that going to add any span to our life? In fact, we know now, the science tells us, that worry and stress actually take away from our life. It can actually shorten our life. And so Jesus says, look, if, if you give yourself to anxiety, if you let that be the Lord of your life, what good is that? Can that add even an hour to your life? It can't. We think of what the psalmist says when he speaks to God and says, my times are in your hands. Our birth date is given to us and our death date is already determined. Our life is in God's hands. It's not in ours. So anxiety does nothing for us. It's a horrible Lord and master. So Jesus gave them one illustration to consider the ravens. Now he's going to give another illustration and says to them, consider the flowers. Look at what he says in verse 27. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And here Jesus reminds them of King Solomon, who they knew, and as we know, one of the most wealthiest individuals in the ancient world. He, of course, was the king of Israel. And the scriptures tell us about how other kings and queens would come to him with gold and treasures just to learn from him and his great wisdom. And he was wealthy, and he had the finest clothes and lived in the best places. And so he says to his hearers, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. And if you think about a lily, it's such a tender plant. And yet it is clothed in glory. And if God cares for the flowers that are here for one moment and are gone the next, and he takes care of them by clothing them in glory, then you can trust your father to take care of you as well. So then he gives them an opportunity to consider themselves again. And he says in verse 28, but if 
God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? He says, look, the grass grows, flowers wither, and they're collected and they're thrown and used for fire, to heat ovens. If that's what happens to them, how much more is God going to clothe you? And then he says, oh, you have little faith. Jesus is wanting to help them see that God himself has this great big heart and he loves and he cares for you. So why do you trust so little in him? He says, in effect, if if you knew what I know about God, if you could see what I see about God, you would see that when your trust is too little in God, that means your trust in yourself is far too great. And then he says this in verse 29. Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Jesus says, don't be like the world. Speaking to his disciples, these people who are seeking to follow Jesus and trust him, he says, I don't want you to be like those who don't know me, like those who are not buying in to my teaching. Your father knows what you need. In fact, even before you can ask him about your needs and to have them met, he knows what's on your tongue. He knows what you need. So don't focus on what the world focuses on. And instead, this is where Jesus directs their gaze. He says in verse 31, Instead, seek first his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Jesus says, I don't want you to worry about your life. Instead, this is what I want you dialed in on. The kingdom of God. So here's a pop quiz for you real fast. What is the one thing Jesus talked about more than anything else? Now, if you were to think Jesus talked about the love of God more than anything else, you wouldn't be too far off because Jesus did talk about that all of the time. If you were to guess that Jesus talked about money and possessions a lot, you wouldn't be too far off because he did speak about that all the time. In fact, he's speaking about it in this particular context. But the one thing that Jesus could not stop talking about, what consumed his mind and what he wanted his disciples to buy into was the kingdom of God. Of God. In fact, if you do not understand what Jesus says about the kingdom of God, then you have a very small grasp of what Jesus was about because this is exactly what he was about. Jeremy Treat in his book, Seek First, which I've commended to you before, said this Jesus gave his followers many commands, but there was only one thing he said to seek seek first the kingdom of God. This is the one thing that changes everything. According to Jesus, what matters most in life is the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus wanted his disciples dialed in on. This is what he wanted them focused in upon. And so let's just throw this graphic back up that we look about every other week here, it seems. Jesus is embedding his disciples in the story of the world. The story that began with establishing humanity as co-rulers with God, establishing his kingdom on the face of this earth. But it's a story about our rebellion and wanting to be our own kings and our own queens. And yet Jesus died to rescue us from ourselves. And he says the kingdom is coming. God's going to establish it one more time. And this time everything that harms will be banished. Our inclinations will be made pure. 
And he says, this is what I want you to seek. This is what I want you to be dialed into. This is what I want you to be about. Because life is about the kingdom. Jeremy Treat says, the Bible is the story of God making his good creation a glorious kingdom. The kingdom of God is the vision of the world reordered around the powerful love of God in Christ. And so my friends, to to define the kingdom, we can simply put it like this. The kingdom of God is about the kind rule and reign of God in and through our lives as we follow Christ. God wants himself to be set up on the throne of our lives. That means we have to dethrone things like worry and anxiety. We have to say no to other potential saviors and lords in order to say yes to God. And so Jesus wants his disciples and he wants you and me to be dialed in to this kind rule and reign of God in our lives and through our lives as we follow Christ. So let's just ask ourselves this question. Why does Luke record this teaching for us in his historical biography of Jesus? Why does he want us to hear this important teaching of Jesus? And why is God bringing it into our lives today? Remember, Luke is convincing us and persuading us that Jesus is the best thing that has ever happened to this world. And he's inviting us to understand his message and to live our lives in light of it. And so he wants us to understand that life is about what kingdom you seek every day of the week. Jesus wanted his disciples dialed in on this, and he wants you and me to be dialed in on this. Life is about what kingdom we seek every day of the week. And so let's apply this to our lives in just a a couple of ways. First of all, seek the kingdom in the king. If Jesus is talking about a kingdom, that means there is a king of that kingdom. And the audacious claim of Jesus is that king is him. There's a book by Ed Welch called Running Scared about this issue of anxiety and worry, and it's helped me out a lot. And in this book, he said this, how do you seek the kingdom? When you seek the king, you are seeking the kingdom. If you could have asked Jesus, where is the kingdom? He would have said, you're getting warmer every step you take toward him. If you touched him, he would say, you're burning up. Jesus was and is the embodiment of the kingdom because he is the king. So when Jesus says to us, instead of letting worry be the Lord of your life, seek the kingdom. And embedded in those instructions is this glorious invitation to seek him. He is the king of his kingdom. And the the good news about this is that this king died for us. Anxiety and worry never die for you. In fact, it always asks you to die for it. It's always demanding more, always exacting more, always telling you the worst case scenario. And it wants to be Lord of your life and it wants to be Lord of my life. Because if it can keep us worried and bound up in anxiety, living in light of it, then it has us exactly where it wants us. That's the mindset of scarcity. Jesus loved us. And died for us. And he did so to make us his very own. The Apostle Paul put it like this in the book of Romans. If God is for us, who can be against us? And we can just personify worry in a sense and say worry is trying to be against us. It wants to be your Lord. But it doesn't want to be your Savior. But Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul's mindset is, if God has given you Jesus, the greatest gift he could ever give, then why would you be worried about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or the other things that seek to be your Lord? A couple of weeks ago, we sang this song, Hail the Day. I found out from my daughter, this is actually her favorite song. and This is a, a glorious song, and in it, we said this. Though he dwells beyond the stars, his redeemed are on his heart. Even now he intercedes. Jesus cares for all our needs. So Jesus tells you his heavenly father cares for your needs. And he tells us that he cares for all our needs. And so we need to simply seek the king in his kingdom. So that's the first point of application. Here's the second. We need to learn to interview our anxiety. Anxiety is going to rear its ugly head in your life. And it's going to start saying things to you. So in a sense, we need to talk back to it. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones pastor in England once said, have you ever realized that most of your unhappiness is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself rather than talking to yourself? <laughs> I love that because I don't know about you, but I think this is true of you. You're always talking to yourself. You're always giving yourself counsel. I mean, I know I'm always thinking about myself and talking about myself and telling myself this is what I should do, and I'm not always dialed into the voice of God in that. I don't always remember the teachings of Jesus. And so oftentimes what happens is in that conversation with myself, I'm listening to the lies and the worry and the anxiety. Here's a key thought. Gretchen Baskerville, an author and counselor, said this. When we protect, I'm sorry, when we project, it should say, when we project our fears out into the future, we always forget to project God's mercy and power into the future at the same time. <laughs> when we worry about how we're going to make it through the day, when all we see is worry and anxiety waiting for us, we oftentimes forget that God has promised to be there with his grace. And when we're worried about tomorrow and all that can consume us or the weeks or days ahead, we always forget that God has promised to meet us there and to provide grace for the day. And so, my friends, we need to learn to take every thought and make it captive to Christ. Paul used these words, and speaking of another context in which he used this, we're going to borrow that from him and just use it for ourselves today. We need to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus. We need to, to learn to take our emotions and set Jesus up as Lord over emotions. We need to take our will and make it captive to Christ. And when we do so, we bring God back into the picture. I love what Psalm 56 says. I've shared this verse with you before. The psalmist says to God, you have kept count of my tossings. You put my tears in your bottle. What's this psalmist doing here? He's letting God know about what's worrying him, what's overwhelming him, the pain and the sorrow that he feels. And he's trusting in God, that God notices this and that God cares about this and that God is going to redeem this. And so when God is with you, my friends, anxiety never has the last word. God does. And so we need to remember that. So the first point of application is to seek the king in the kingdom. That second point of application was learn to interview your anxiety. And here's the third point of application. Bring your anxious heart to God. Let's just admit the fact that we oftentimes get anxious. 
And so we need to not dwell in that. But we need to bring our anxious hearts to God. This is the way the Apostle Paul put it to Christians living in the ancient city of Philippi. He says, the Lord is near. In other words, he's here. He's with you. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. He says, God is with you. So don't be anxious. In other words, when you find yourself in those places, don't dwell in that, but in every situation you find yourself, pray to God. Tell him what you need. Make your request known to God. I love what the psalm says, Psalm 56. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. Let's think about that constellation of things that go with afraid and think of worry and anxiety and plug those in here as well. When I am anxious, when I am worried, when I'm overwhelmed, when I dread what is before me, I will put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I will trust, I will not be afraid. So my friends, when you find yourself in these situations, let's just take ourselves to God and say, God, this situation has got my anxiety off the charts. (laughs) You tell me not to be anxious, but this is what's bringing me anxiety. Or maybe when you're up at night, say, Lord, these are the things keeping me up at night. I'm trying to put this into practice in my own life when I'm dealing with insomnia, when uh, when sleep escapes me. Instead of just sitting there stewing in it, Say, Lord, this is what is bothering me. This is what I'm thinking about. Would you settle my anxious heart? And see, my friends, when we pray, we are bringing God into our circumstances. We're inviting God into the picture. Or maybe more accurately, we're inviting ourselves to awaken to the fact that God is with us, that he is at hand, that he is already there, that he is going before us. And so we can begin to understand why Peter, the apostle, would say to His audience, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. When you're anxious, cast those anxieties upon him. Because, my friends, when we do this, we are replacing anxiety with trust. I love this graphic of this young child leaping off this rock and into the arms of his father. That's what we're invited to do. When we're anxious, yes, let's cast our anxieties into the open arms of God. But when we do that, we're casting ourselves as well. Do you see that? So I wonder if we can learn to replace anxiety with trust and just to throw ourselves into the arms of the Heavenly Father, and into the arms of Jesus. And when we do that, when we do that, the promise is that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so my friends, life is about what kingdom and what king you seek every day of the week.